So, do you know the name Mary Chestnut? Mary Chestnut. Uh, she was uh, a South Carolinian, born to a prominent upper class, uh, aristocratic type family in South Carolina. Married James Chestnut when she was 17. He later became a U.S. Senator from South Carolina. Uh, so she was, if you wanted to characterize her, a true blue blood Southerner. In, in fact, she was a lady of society. She was a wonderful hostess, and she became a distinguished first lady in Washington. She was truly a woman of her times. What she may be known best for, though, is her memoirs, a diary she wrote, because she lived in and around before and just after the Civil War. We learn a lot about Southern aristocratic behavior from her diary. She wrote on September 21st, 1864, just 19 days after Atlanta had been burned and fallen, she wrote these words, We are going to be wiped off the face of the earth. That is Southern, white, upper crust people. Sherman is burning Atlanta to the ground. The apocalypse has come. There is no doubt that the end is near. And then she wrote, after this huge apocalyptic, image-laden section, she wrote these words, and the slaves, the slaves are dancing in the streets. You see, I just want to illustrate by that story that it matters on which side you fall when the apocalypse comes, right? If you are in the side of evil and injustice, it's going to be a very bad day for you. Uh, if you are on the side of Christ, needing liberation and redemption, awaiting your Savior's coming, you'll be like those slaves dancing in the streets. Because Jesus came to set things right again. And during that time, slavery needed to be undone. It was horrendous. It was horrible. It's a, a blight on the South forever. And yet liberation on that day had come to those slaves. And they were dancing in the streets. So what does that have to do with the sermon today? Well, we're talking about apocalyptic literature, about the little apocalypse that we find in Mark chapter 13. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there and walk through it with me in the next few minutes. We're going to discuss why the second coming is so important for Christians to believe. So if your second coming and, and, uh, and you are living a life apart from God, it's going to be very bad news if you're living in Jesus then you wait and you long with expectation for his kingdom to come and for our Savior to arrive. You see, one of the earliest Christian prayers, did you know this? It's from 1 Corinthians 16, 22, when Paul simply said, come, Lord Jesus. That's a simple prayer, just come, expectant, longing. We want Jesus to set things right again. In Revelation 2, 22, 20, we get the same thing. Jesus proclaims, surely I am coming soon. And the heavenly hosts erupt with a prayer, amen, come Lord Jesus, come. The Aramaic term that Jesus would have spoken was Maranatha, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. So who's coming? Why is he coming? What's that all about? Well, 16 times in the New Testament, when it talks about the coming of Jesus, they call it a Greek word called parousia, parousia. And that simply means the presence of God restored to his people, the presence of God. 
the parousia, the powerful light and majesty and glory and presence of God with his people again. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Literally, the Shekinah glory that we learn about in the Old Testament is what they're praying for. When Moses in Exodus 33:18 said, please show me your Shekinah, God. Show me your glory. And so we pray for God's glory, God's parousia, God's presence. Look at verse 27 and 28. Jesus is literally coming to bring heaven down to earth. Verse, I mean, verse 26. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, his Shekinah glory. And then he will send out his angels and gather the elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth and the ends of heaven. The glory of Jesus, the nearer presence of our Lord, come to set things right. Shekinah glory, the light shining in the darkness. Now, the glory of the second coming is described by John in Revelation 21.3. And it's like this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, John says. Loud voice. This is coming from Jesus. Jesus is sitting on his throne, coming to judge the heavens and the earth. And the loud voice said this. Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man again. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come and bring your justice. Come and gather your elect from the four winds. Come and bring your justice so that your people caught in slavery and sin can once again dance in the streets. We want him to come again to bring heaven down to bring a time when babies aren't killed in their mother's wombs. To bring a time when old people don't grow old and people don't get cancer and wars are no longer fought and racism no longer exists and poverty is abolished and love wins. God's love wins in the end. Come, Lord Jesus. We want to dance in the streets. So we should, in Advent, look expectantly and longingly so look at verses 32 and 30 to 36. Jesus says, But concerning the day or the hour of my coming, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. But here's the key words. Be on guard. Keep awake. Live your life with eyes lifted to heaven, praying for the coming of Jesus. And in Advent, we're looking for two comings, right? Right? The coming of Jesus on Christmas Day to, to deal with sin by his death and resurrection. But we're also looking for him to come and judge the living and the dead in his second coming to set all things right again. Jesus says to us, wake up. Verse 34, stay awake to the fact that I'm coming. Verse 35, therefore stay awake. Verse 36, I don't want to find you suddenly asleep when I come. Verse 37, what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Come, Lord Jesus, come. You know that term that's probably terrible grammar, and I promise, Dawn, I won't use this outside of this sermon, uh, but, but the common phrase today is, are you woke? Are you woke? It's defined as a cultural push to challenge problematic norms and systems of injustice to challenge complacency by becoming completely awake to injustice in the world. Are you woke? 
I'm not woke politically like that. You know, I don't care about politics too much. I, a little bit, but, you know, I believe that black lives matter and blue lives matter and all lives matter. I'm that woke. Uh, but I'm, what I'm talking about is Jesus is saying you got to be spiritually woke. you got to be spiritually awake, verse 34, verse 35. Don't let me f- see you asleep, verse 36. Verse 37, stay awake. So the first point I want you to go home with today is are you a woke Christian, which is the title of this sermon? Do you long expectantly for the second coming of Jesus to set all things right again? Are you woke to social injustice? Number two, second coming, belief in that, changes the way you see injustice in the world. Neil Plantinga wrote a book a few years ago, Engaging God's World, Engaging the Injustice of God's World. And at the end of the book, he talks about the second coming in these terms. The second coming of Jesus Christ is especially good news for people whose lives are filled with bad news. If you are a slave in Pharaoh's Egypt, or a southern black person born in the 19th century, or an Israelite exiled in Babylon, or a Kosovar exiled in Albania, if you are a woman in a culture where if your husband gets mad at you, he can lock you away in a closet and beat you mercilessly, if you are a Christian in sub-Saharan Africa and have seen your village wiped out by AIDS, then, he says, then you don't yawn when somebody mentions the return of Jesus Christ. This person, these people, want justice and redemption that belongs to the kingdom of God itself. So the king returning to bring justice and redemption. The last book in J.R.R. Tolkien's um, a work um, is the return of the king. And uh, there's this wonderful thing that really does bring out the return of Jesus. Remember the turn of the king? He had to be thinking about Jesus in many different ways. And the ring is now destroyed, and the characters are at Mount Doom, and Sam wakes up. He gets woke from his sleep. And he's alive, and he says, I didn't know I'd be alive. And then he looks at Gandalf, and Gandalf is alive. And then he says something that's powerful. He said to Gandalf, is everything sad now going to become untrue? Is everything sad going to become untrue? Isn't that what we're waiting for? Come, Lord Jesus, come. We want to live lives that are woke to the fact that there is something currently wrong with this world, and you are coming to bring heaven down to earth, that this place is filled with sadness, cursed by sin, groaning and awaiting its redemption, its final consummation. Come, Lord Jesus, when the curse will be rolled back and the sad things will become untrue. And we will dance in the streets for our liberation. Come, Lord Jesus. Revelation 21, 5, here's the promise. And behold, I heard a loud voice from the throne. And that loud voice of Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. Everything sad become untrue. Um, Point number three, the second coming changes the way you see those who have offended you and hurt you. If you hold on to bitterness and resentment, they are poisonous to your soul. But if you're anything like me and somebody has hurt you, the first thing you want to do is sit your tush down on the throne of judgment. Tell me if that's not true. That you want to get even, don't you? We all do. When you get mad at somebody, you you caricature them. 
You, you explode and exaggerate their bad parts, and you minimize and diminish their good parts. And if you told a third party who is not part of the hurt what this person has done and who they are, they wouldn't even recognize this person you described. Why is that? Because you've caricatured them. Because your anger has blinded you to the fact that this is a person made by God and redeemed possibly by Christ. And in that moment of anger, what are you thinking? Payback's going to be hell. Payback's hell. I want my pound of flesh out of this argument. Some say, I need to get my comeuppance, my comeuppance. You're going to get what you deserve. And if there's any justice in the world, I get to give it to you. You see, the doctrine of the second coming reminds us that Jesus alone can sit on that throne of judgment. Not you or me. The second coming reminds us that it's too large a throne for us to sit on. It's too big. We don't have enough knowledge. We don't know their backstory or what their childhood was like or who's wronged them in their lives. We don't know what makes them tick. So we can't judge them. Only Jesus can. So we know that the person deserves justice and Jesus will bring it, but we don't have to. Romans 12, 9, Paul reminds the church, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I repay, says the Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and bring your healing. Come and bring justice to our enemies. That, you can pray that. Come and bring vengeance over evildoers and oppressors. Let us trust you, though, for your judgment and take ourselves off the throne. And when you do that, you can begin to let go of the resentment, the hurt, the pain. Finally, this apocalyptic stuff is full of fearful language, but Christians ought not to fear. There's going to be massive upheaval. That's what that language is all about, the symbolism. And it's scary. Look at verse 24. But in those days after the tribulation... The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be fallen from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That's kind of scary stuff, isn't it? Psalm, 34 asks, Psalm 130 asks us the question on the judgment day. It says, O Lord, if you kept a record of my sin, then who could stand? Who could stand on judgment day if you kept a record of everything that I've done? Here's the deal for Christians. Not for non-Christians, but for Christians. Mark 13 says the sun will be darkened, the moon will not shine, the heavens will be shaken. Guess what? Two chapters from now, guess what happens? Darkness came over the whole world, and the heavens were shaken, and the sun did not shine. Mark 15. In Matthew 24, the same verse, on that day of judgment, the earth will be shaken, Matthew says. Go three chapters down to Matthew 27, and the earth shook. And the rock split, and the sun went out, and there were utter darkness in the world. What happened on those days? Jesus Christ took up the cross of Calvary. He stretched out his arms and shed his blood and suffered judgment on our behalf. Please hear that. That's why he cried out before the God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's suffering separation, the separation that we deserve Darkness had come. The earth had quaked. Jesus was being judged. And instead of receiving the infinite Shekinah presence of the glory of God, what Jesus suffered was the horrifying infinite absence of God the Father. 
What we deserve, Jesus took on himself. Abandoned, separated, judgment day had come for Christ. So that at the end of time, when we have to stand before the throne of God, then we won't have to do it with fear or guilt or shame or trembling. He's already paid your price. Are you woke, church? Are you woke to the fact that Jesus has paid your penalty? Isaiah 53 says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we're healed. So that we can stand before the Lord's judgment seat one day without fear or trembling. But dancing, rejoicing, free in Christ Jesus, awaiting his return in glory. So church, be woke. Woke to the fact that Jesus will come again. And he's setting all things new and right. And everything that's sad will become untrue. Be woke. Woke to the fact that he will sit on the throne of judgment, and you ought not to have to. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Church, be woke. Do not let him come again and find you asleep spiritually. And when he comes, if you are awake in Christ, he will gather his elect from the four corners of the earth he will bring heaven down to earth, restoring everything and making it new. And you can see Jesus face to face without fear or without trembling because you're covered in grace. So be woke, church. The Lord draws near. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are coming in the form of Jesus to restore this world as it should be. Not as it is, not with all of its brokenness, all of its darkness, but as it should be. Your kingdom come down from heaven. So help us to every day pray for the Lord Jesus to come, to restore everything that's broken, and help us to look to heaven with joy and seek out those injustices and let us start to, to make a difference wherever we see injustice, to bring the healing of Jesus to every situation. We just entrust ourselves to you, dear Lord. Help us never to strike back, seeking justice from those who wrong us, but help us to leave it to you, for vengeance is yours, says the Lord. So help us to look for the second coming. We pray these things in Jesus' name.